K-A-L-W. You're listening to Uncuffed, recorded and produced by people in California prisons. I'm Orlando Hassan Hassan Johnson. I'm BF Timms. And I'm Maito Guzman. Today's theme is going to be reentry. Does anybody want to share what their thoughts are on reentry? Are we talking about reentry into the atmosphere? <laughs> I'm talking about reentry from this prison environment back into society where we all came from. Have, have you uh, had a reentry before? I've had a couple of re-entries, yes, correct. This is something that's been on my mind lately because I got a re-entry scheduled upcoming at this year. Mm-hmm. And so this is the, the second time I will be leaving this place. Yeah. And uh, the first time it didn't go, I didn't anticipate a lot of the things that I ran into. A lot of times people out there, after they haven't seen you for a long time, they seem to still think that they know you and place ideas, they project their beliefs of you onto you mm-hmm. rather than, hey, how have you been? What have you been going through? And, and you know, they don't see it as a reentry. They just resume where they left off. This time, I hope to avoid a lot of the mistakes that I went through. Point taken. Good point. I mean, and to to that point, I, I am looking forward to a contrast of reentry for myself. And I'm talking about me because last couple of times they... Even though they were a while ago, my mind wasn't where it needed to be. My mind and my heart. So, we're about to listen to a conversation between Joe Kirk and Chanton Bunn, two uncuffed alumni released from California state prisons a few months into the pandemic. Bunn, a Cambodian refugee, is possibly facing deportation. Joe, an activist, seems intent on helping self and others to simply live. When I got out, I got a chance to go back home to Chicago, but I decided not to. I ended up going up to Portland, Oregon, because I uh, had political views that went along with what was going on up there. I was in Portland protesting for a long time uh, because, you know, I wanted cops to stop killing black people. When I was in prison, I was ignorant. I didn't know. I was from, I'm from Chicago. I was a transient. I was in solitary confinement in county jail. I had no idea about politics or anything. And uh, while I was locked up and incarcerated, I started seeing what was going on in the streets. Uh, Actually, before I was incarcerated, I was in Ferguson. I was there when everything was going on. I was watching this stuff on the news and uh, I just, I wanted to be a part of it. I really, really wanted to be a part of it. And uh, when I got out and I got my chance, that's what I did. It was the first thing I did is I took off to Portland and I, and I did what I needed to do. And, uh, I don't regret it, not one second of it. So afterwards, I decided to get the money together and get on an Amtrak and come up to Seattle where I could safely stay. So I got into the shelter system, which uh, ended up actually elevating me into doing volunteer work for them and then now uh, observing and watching over a. Uh, storage lockers and a shelter here on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard in Seattle. Damn, Joe. That's that's an adventure, bro. Um since I've been home and went through all that COVID sickness and start feeling better, I started looking back and you know 
I thought, you know, a lot of people say, go home, you know, forget about prison, right? Well, I came home and I couldn't forget about prison because the times we're living in, I had, you know, when I got home, I was sick, then I was feeling a little bit better than my friend died of COVID in San Quentin. Then another one died of COVID in San Quentin. And, you know, it was just things, things just piled up. And then um, I had to deal with immigration, even out here. Were you um, facing deportation or whatever? Yeah, I faced deportation every day. Damn. So, you know, all this just piled up. But like I said before, the community really came in and helped me. And so, you know, with that guilt of I know some of my friends and, and some of these dudes, I call my brothers because I grew up with them. I've been in prison with them for like 20 23, 24 years. So they're like my brothers. So I had to, you know, just speak up on it. And it just, something happened, man. It changed my heart. I'm like, you know what? I, I really have to help. And I know that every time I get on, I speak. I also put myself in danger because, you know, of my ICE situation and my immigrant uh, situation. I've never done this in my life. I, I, I think you've done it activism more than I have. But for me, I don't even call myself activism. I'm just speaking to the truth, you know, yeah. whatever I can. And right now, it's great, bro. I'm about to get off parole, hopefully, in a few months. I'm looking to a brighter future. And it's all because, not because of CDCR, it's all because of the community came around me. And, and they, they, you know, I, I work closely with them and they see, that, you know, that I'm trying. I'm always self-conscious of like when other people know me or whatever. And it happens when I apply for jobs too, because Uncuffed is on my resume and uh, they're like, oh, this is a person podcast or whatever. Right. And it's always in my head that people are going to judge me because of that. You know what I mean? Which I don't care in a way I could care less or whatever, but it is what it is. But at the same time, it's like always in the back of my mind. I don't want people to not like me because the, they think I'm a evil bad guy or whatever. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. Um. You ain't no evil bad guy, dude. Uh, you, <laughs> yeah. just, you just, you just, you just got to You know, I don't, I don't think people see it like that. And you know, because um, like activism, that was last on my list. Ah, that wasn't even on my list. I don't. I look at people speaking like, man, they some brave people. Just like radio. Never been on my mind, never been in my list of plans of life. So, you know, for 23 years in prison, I was like, you know what? I need something that I could learn a trade from. I, I'm a machinist, electrician. And I was like, you know, when I get out, I got to get me a machinist uh, job or electrician job, you know. And after 23 years in prison, I don't want nothing more but a job and enough money to to live you know what i mean just that that's that's all i want in life because i lost so much but um what crazy is is when covid hit and i had survivor guilt and the people i left behind was still sick you know i was thinking Bun, what, about what you just said about like the survivor guilt thing or whatever and uh a, a lot of what it eats at me is that i know a lot of people in there that are never getting out you know and uh, and I and I think about all the other LWAPs and things like that. They're they're just stuck in there, and they're they're just getting shuffled around from dorm to dorm to to, to block to block. And uh, I had a lot of guilt over that because here I am, you know, I'm, I could run up to 
the top of Mount Rainier right now if I wanted to, you know, <laughs> to hide from the coronavirus. And people like that can't. They're just stuck there sitting, waiting, rotting, you know, and it's, it's I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. Um, man, it's 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 a hard thing, and that's why that's why I keep doing what I'm doing is to help other people that have life that even the immigration policies are the same. Like when we go to board and the board, even the governor is saying you're no longer a risk to society, your risk is low and you're not a danger no more. But immigration picks us up and say, no, you guys are a danger. I came out with a ridiculous amount of uh, PTSD, but on, on top of that, I already, I have a bipolar one disorder. Bipolar one disorder had a lot to do with uh, everything that I had uh, gotten in trouble for and everything else. Uh, I'm very impulsive. I'm very bad with decisions. I get manic. I do uh, all sorts of uh, out there things. And uh, I uh, was getting uh, a lot of treatment for it. And uh, I was getting good treatment for it. And I was getting like therapy for PTSD and everything else. Then all of a sudden they were told me I'm going home as quickly as possible. And it was, it was as quickly as possible. You're gone, get out, you know? And then all of a sudden I'm out there and they're like, okay, uh, you have every three months a telephone call with this doctor or whatever. And that was that. Yeah, man. Um, mental health is a, it's, it's a big problem out here, you know? I don't think they're set up to help you with with mental health. Um, no, not at all. Because, um, like, I don't, I don't even think if if they took their time to do your paperwork, it it it'll even help because it's just the way the system's set up out here, you know. And I I know if they were doing their job, you're a caseworker or something. Like, hey, I have this guy coming out. He's paroling here, but he needs mental health. Could the community help me? They would have got way more resources for you. Because, you know, most of our community is ready for us. And I could speak to that because they saved my life. And everybody came together and be like, you know what? If the state won't do it, we'll do it. We'll take care of them. We'll, we'll nurse them back to health. And we'll take care of whatever needs he, he needed. And I think that's the, the major problem about parole CDC is they think they got it handled, but they're just treating us like a piece of paper. Here's a number. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go even though my surroundings are different and I get to wear regular clothes and do what I want now, uh, I don't feel like I ever left because my mind is so hypervigilant still. Uh, I'm seeking treatment actually right now, like uh, heavy medical treatment and taking all sorts of drugs for uh, PTSD. I can't turn my brain off. I can't walk down the street without looking over my shoulder. I can't go into crowded rooms without thinking that something is going to happen or somebody is going to get stabbed. So I feel free in a way, but I'm not, I guess you could say it's a, it's kind of torturous. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know how you feel, Joe, because, you know, I have those issues too. There, there was a lot of moments when uh, um, I was sick and, 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 you know, I come in and out of, of my haze because somehow COVID is sometimes there and sometimes it, may, it, it feels better. So on my better moment where my mind is kind of clear, it's, it, was a, it was a trip to me because I had a bed and all, but I, I wasn't comfortable on the bed. So I sat and, and laid on the couch a lot of times. And oh, yeah, I know they, that one. Yeah. 
the couch <laughs> or the floor like yeah the couch <laughs> on the floor made me feel like it was a small bunk still you know what i mean and like it's crazy how i didn't snap out of that until like i went outside and i looked and i seen the grass and i seen the birds like free it's weird it's like you know i had to take a lot of baby steps because you know i've been in prison longer than you go and, and like yeah, you know, the, the stuff you did in prison, like it ingrains in you or like I have a habit of of it. So it took me, it's, it's, it still takes me time to unravel that, right? And when you were talking about you got PTSD, you know, I had PTSD all my life from where I was from. And yeah. like for the first month or two, I couldn't even walk down the street because, you know, what's going on is, okay, the last time I was on the street was 23 years ago. And during those times were were time of war for me, you know, where I was on the street, I was gangbanging and shooting. So like little things that would remind me of the past, I'll get that feeling real quick. And 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 I'll get that hypervigilant and I'll, I'll be looking around, I'm making sure. But then I had to learn how to catch myself. I'm wait, you're not there no more. You know, you're not in that place no more. You're not that 18-year-old kid no more. You're not in prison no more. You're here. But it's always, every time it does that, I always have to stop, take a deep breath. I'm like, no, you're not there anymore. You're here now today, you know, and, and your fears are, are of past trauma that's coming up for you. It's different. It's, it's just different. I'm Even after about eight, eight months out, um, I'm just picking up on stuff right now and just, you know, trying to enjoy the best life I can make out of what I got left because, you know, I lost so much. And I think it's going to take me a, a little while longer to get used to being free, especially right now that I have this thing over my head and it's not resolved yet. So stuck in the middle, I don't know if I can move forward, move backward, whatever it is, is always something that I have to look out for. And you know, that, that holds me back, but I'm not going to, I don't let it hold me back, but it does hold me back. So I do the best I can to live around it and just hoping that, you know, I don't have to deal with it in the worst way. Uh, so with your internship, you didn't have to, uh, like, uh, probably job hunting and all that. Was that too much of a deal for you? Or is that a big deal for you at all? Like, Cause I know like I've been looking for jobs like crazy. And they, I get all these responses that are like, oh, your credentials are amazing. You're award-winning, but you're not for us. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, oh, um, it's annoying. No, like, I go job hunting still because I need, I need to get me a part-time job. We live in the Bay. We, we need to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, nah, Seattle's um, just bad, um, man. <laughs> I don't mind job hunting. You know, I was like, before I even got the internship, I was re, uh, hunting for job. And the one thing is, bro. Coming to the Bay, there's so many of us former lifers that are out here and everybody helps each other. Like, you yeah, know network. somebody that's a lifer and if, if like, we, we all do it together, you know, all our friends are coming out, hey man, can we get them a job? And we just send the word out and we all get together like, hey, we got a job over here if you want it, we'll hook you up. I mean, I've seen people come out where I don't know what I'm doing. And all they did was one phone call to one guy. And next thing you know, everybody's in the loop. You know, we're learning how to use technology. So we're, we're on like group chats and stuff like, hey, such and such has got out. He needs this. He needs that. We get connected with organization. We send stuff over and just trying to help build the guy up. 
you know, really that's the whole idea of uh, a lot of the political things that I back is that, you know, it, it's not government programs and, and corporations and everything else that are going to fix things. It's us, the people, mm-hmm. you know, like we have to band together and have some sort of like mutual aid network like that. If people are going to get help uh, when they get out, they need to get, you know, we need to have people band together to help them just like what you're doing. That's what it's about. I'm a simple man. Uh, you know, I just, I want to go fishing. <laughs> you know, that's what I do. I go kick back and, and I relax and I go fishing and, you know, um, with family that, you know, right now it's like the best life I have is, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not with my family, but my family know I'm free. I get to go visit them when I, uh, whenever I get a pass, you know, um, I'm starting a family of my own. So, you know, I just want the togetherness that, that I've always dreamt of, of just, you know, a big, a big family in one home. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really all I need before for your other questions. Like what you think is my leg up is stability. I need some stability in my life because with this immigration hanging over my head, I have no stability. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm just in limbos in my life. And it, but even in limbos out here, it's, it's, it's a thousand a million times better than living in prison. Now that we heard Kurt and Chanton, uh, it sounds like their experiences with reentry were, were pretty different. Uh, Joe sounds like he's still carrying some kind of uh, issues from prison. And even though Chanton had been in prison for 23 years, it sounds like he's taking a slower, more steady approach. And uh, he, I, I like that he said several times that he was taking things simple. He's focusing on the truth. He's taking baby steps and uh, he set some goals for himself. I think it was great that uh, he went and volunteered on a homeless shelter. Yeah, I thought that was, I, I liked it. I liked hearing that. I, and I'm a fan of the Pacific Northwest myself. So, uh, you know, he's talking about Portland, uh, protested in Portland. Even though I was, I was like, man, isn't he, he could be risking rearrest with that. Well, sounds like he's trying to do something positive out there and contribute in some way. Working at shelters and stuff like that. Those are good things. I mean, those are good things. I'm Bun B too. I've had this conversation with you guys before, at least in some way. I mean, I feel like our whole society. I'm always going to feel like that for for the hurt and the harm that I put out there. So something like this, I mean, I'm willing to take a risk to be rearrested. I'm willing to take a risk for whatever in these type of causes. You know? Get into that good trouble. Get that good trouble. That's, that's, that's respect <laughs> respectable activism. I mean, yeah. You know, but I feel like I owe it. So, you know, it would be hard to talk me down. I find it interesting that Bunce said that even though the governor recognized him as no longer a risk, other agencies don't recognize him as not being no longer a risk. Like ICE. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's something that it probably takes a a transition in, in, in itself to recognize where you're at and how you're now under a new scope. Yeah, that a whole new classification, not just a free American like most of us when we come out, you know, into society. 
Chanton, he uh, he spoke about a lot of hardships. You know, I feel him on that because yeah. I know getting out there, I know I could feel as confident as I want right now. I can feel as confident as I want, and I know when I step out there on the streets, there are going to be hardships. You know, I've already spoken to my wife about the need, which I believe is a genuine need potentially for me, for us to have um, uh, 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 regular, whatever that consists of, meetings with a psychologist. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I can't imagine. There's there's no way that I'm going to reenter society without somehow being impacted by the nearly 30 years. I've been in prison almost 30 years, 30 consecutive years. And, and, and no matter how I might seem to people now, like Brian's cool, he's intelligent, you know, he's funny or silly or all that normal stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't consider myself normal per se. You know, I have issues that I probably am not aware of yet. Well, see, on the plus side, uh, that's another thing that Bun said. There's a lot of former lifers out there that, that are there for each other that and, do understand those things. And you know what's crazy about, well, what I... About with like if you were to do a comparison with Bun and Joe, Joe has his struggles, right? Bun has his well, they they both Joe you would say they both have their uh, challenges, right? But you think Bun's challenges are like you know like with the deportation and that having that hanging over his head, but his approach and his resources, like you know the, like you're saying with the uh, having that network. To, to he, uh, Bun's real big on community and you know knowing what to do. I mean, he knows he he's doing the right things as far as I mean, reaching out, having uh, uh, getting being involved with the network, and you know having a big family. Uh, you know, he's uh, family oriented. It does seem really hard looking at some of the stuff with with uh, Bun. I mean, the things that he mentioned, and he said, it really struck me that he said, you know, it's hard to find a job. I just want a job, mm. and I just want to live. Yeah. I mean, I feel it. I just want to live. Yeah, that sounds simple enough, but there's a lot that comes into that. There's a lot that comes into that. Finding that stability, you know, first you have to be stable within yourself to, okay, I'm going to navigate through this. You're going to reach out in the areas that you need your help in. And you have to be able to recognize that while staying focused. Another thing that sort of touched me is when Joe spoke, uh, Joe spoke about his hypervigilance. You know, and sometimes it still felt like he was in prison. I fully expect that. I expect that. I, I, man, I do not intend to deal with that alone. Someone is going to have to help me with that because even here in this room, I refuse to face the computer with my back to the door mm-hmm. while the door is able to be open why is that i'm concerned that something could happen you know not because i've done anything to anybody but that somebody could come in and potentially harm me is it my back turn or is it just more like because i think sometimes that's just more of a control thing like okay i have a controlled environment now you know it's it's i'm i'm comfortable because it's not noise everything's under control you know you know uh that might be true except for 21 years ago i got jumped in prison mm-hmm. by some other men from the Bay Area and I got kicked in the head. I was fighting with them. I was doing okay. And they kicked me in the face and in the head and broke my jaw in three places. Mm. So if I wasn't, uh, and I was in the hospital for six weeks, if I wasn't wow. already concerned about my surroundings just in general, mm-hmm. I mean, that would do it. That so, makes sense. I mean, Bun does talk about triggers yeah. and, and, and associations and, mm-hmm. and the feelings coming up 
under certain conditions. Oh, behaviors yeah. or and, behaviors that. Uh, and on that prison. note, I remember uh, my my I paroled once before, mm-hmm. and I remember like within my first week, I went to the movie theater. My mm-hmm. brother took me to the movie theater, and I remember we were in lines to get tickets, and I just started feeling like anxious, like something was bugging me, and at first I didn't even know what it was. But uh, I remember I told my brother, you know what? I'm going to go stand over by the, by the side over there. I'm going to wait for you guys. And I realized it was just all the crowd. Mm. And they weren't doing anything, no. but just the activity. I had came from, at the time, I was on a level four yard. So it was like a lot of minimal movements, controlled movements. So I didn't really realize how long I had been away from crowds. And it's something that you feel, you know? Yeah. That made you anxious. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't even understand at the moment. At the moment, I didn't even realize what I was feeling. I was just, I just knew that I wasn't comfortable. Huh? See, that's that's kind of scary because we need to be in awareness. You know, we need to be mindful, and that's one of the things that these self help groups uh, teach here. I was always involved in dr- involved in drugs and alcohol. When I got out, every time from those times, from the those three instances, when I said I went to prison, got out. Went and went back to prison, got out. Then went did that counting time, got out. Every time I got out, I was, I was, uh, I had, a, you know, I was drinking that day. I mean, I was getting high that day in one form or the other. That's inclusive. When I say getting high, I mean drinking too. But when I was much younger, I was into harder drugs. I always worked and I put food on the table for my family, but I didn't put the emotional food on the table. I didn't put the moral food on the table. And I didn't put, I didn't put, I didn't know. And I didn't put the example of the character that I wanted to. And, and to be honest, I, I didn't get that until I was arrested in 2015. From that time that I was arrested until now, that's what I've been working on. That's what I've been looking forward to getting out and providing for my family. Uh, For me, I also found some aspects of the reentry easy. Mm-hmm. For me to get a, to get a job and to be productive in that sense was easy. I was kind of just going with the flow, and as quickly as I was making money, I was spending it. Yeah, I was being generous everywhere I went. I was just kind of like not really looking toward my future. And uh, I got involved with the with the female that worked in real estate, Ooh. and you know she spoke multiple languages. And one day she asked me if I could help her with a Spanish client. Wow! So. I started uh, helping with her clients on that. Mm-hmm. And before I knew it, a month later, I was working for a real estate company. I'm interested to know how you came back, bro. But go on. Yeah. You, now you're working for two, an interesting two, real estate company. Two, three months into the real estate company, uh, I got to the point where now I was a, a, like, a, like a manager. So again, though, I didn't take, I didn't take that uh, as seriously as I could have. I didn't build on that. I took it for granted. It yeah. was like too easy like everything was coming easily you know you have to remember that not everybody knows you not everybody knows what you've been through how you think what you respond to things like what your needs are and if you don't have the ability to communicate with people and some might even say tolerate their differences because some people will come across kind of strongly where you may struggle with it emotionally and your expectations may not be met other people may not even have a consideration for what you think and what your needs are. And you have to be able to recognize that and prepare so that you can cope with it. So it doesn't take you off track 
and cause you to start reacting emotionally. I think it's been beneficial that I've had time to to communicate with my family over these years with visits and uh, calls to where they have now a better understanding too. So you're saying that's where you went wrong before you came back, the disconnect with your family? Because I thought you were going to tell me where you went wrong to where no. it made you come back because you got it going on. Well, well, you know what I'm saying. You had well, a lot of good things going for you. I took things for granted, like I said, right? Uh-huh. Then I got to the point where I was like, well, what am I going to do now? You know, I kind of start, started, uh, what do you call that, like separating myself from family, from certain people because, mm-hmm. I don't know, I wasn't coping with it too well. So I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to, I started alienating myself a little okay. bit. Okay. And gradually, before I knew it, I started doing robberies. And it was, again, like easy come, easy go. Right. So that's kind of where I, I got off track. And, and now I kind of feel like my, my, I, have a, I have a better overall understanding of myself and my support system has a better understanding of me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, yeah. and, so, and so now I plan on taking my... The talents I was misusing and actually building something more long-term. Well, you know, both these guys said you got to s- save yourself, you know? So yeah, I think uh, that's the thing that we're going to have to remi- remind yourselves ourselves of that at the end of the day, you know, we have to recognize where we're at and what, what our needs are going to be. I, I, I do have to uh, add this, though. This is, what I was, this is what I was talking about. Brian, people who don't go to prison, which is most of everyone out there listening, <laughs> is that the TVs we get in here, we can get TVs. We get like a 13-inch TV and they're clear see-through plastic. Nowadays with technology, we can they can be flat screen, they're small, but they're in clear plastic so they can be you can see through them completely for security reasons and all that and whatnot. So when a guy leaves prison, it's like, you know, he usually leaves most of that stuff behind. Like, I'm taking that TV. Well, that's one of the things, of course, all my paperwork, but that TV is coming with me because I want to mount that somewhere in my home, preferably probably in the bathroom. It's going to be working and everything, but I want to mount that in the bathroom so I see that. And that's, uh, that's what helps me keep, I mean, something. I want something visual. So I'll probably have that there and one or two pictures of, Probably me and my wife in the visiting room, which is I'm in my blues and stuff like that. Something just like that as a, in the bathroom. So I see it at least once a day. I'll see it often. But I want that type of reminder because it, I'm, I will be grateful to be out once it, to be free again. And that's a wrap. You can find Uncuffed on KALW 91.7 FM in San Francisco or at weareuncuffed.org. Subscribe to Uncuffed in any podcast player. Thanks to the team at KALW Public Media, especially Nena Gensler-Debs, who helped produce the conversation between Joe and Bun. The rest of the KALW crew is Angela Johnston, James Rowland, Andrew Steltzer, Ben Trefney, Eli Workshafter, and Mr. Brian McCann here at the Media Center in Solano for all of his indispensable contributions. Thanks also to David Jassy for our theme music. Uncuffed gets support from the California Arts Council and the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. All content recorded on the inside is approved by the information officer. 
Thank you for listening.